Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by SKP Creative. I asked the team at SKP what message they wanted listeners to hear today, and they wanted to remind you that the next general municipal election in Amarillo is May 1st, 2021, this year. And we talked about it last week in the interview with Jamie Coward. We will be electing for mayor, city council representatives, AISD school board, Amarillo College Board of Regents. It's a big municipal election. These elections matter, probably even more to your life than last November's national election. The local leaders we elect have an impact on your day-to-day. So if you're not registered to vote, April 1st is the last day to do so. You can go to pottercountyvotes.com or randallcounty.com to learn more. But please put May 1st on your calendar and make a plan to vote. Thanks again for the reminder by SKP Creative. You can find more about them at skpcreative.com. Today's guest is Dietrich Peoples, and typically I identify people by their job titles or their careers, and maybe that's wise, maybe that's not. But the best way to describe Dietrich is that she's an activist. She's a young Canyon resident who has gotten involved as a community leader largely because of her son. Most recently, Dietrich was behind the Black is Beautiful book project and fundraiser for the Leaders Readers Network during Black History Month. She's also a member of the Faculty and Staff Diversity and Inclusion Council at WT. So Dietrich and I talk about her upbringing, her education, and why uplifting the local community of Black residents here in Amarillo and Canyon is so important to her. So here's Dietrich Peoples. Dietrich Peoples, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, I, I, I'm glad to have you. I, I appreciate uh, that you took the time to come and talk. I want to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests, and that's just to ask why you're in this area. How did you end up in Amarillo Canyon, uh, the Panhandle, in the first place? So my family, uh, my mom and stepdad moved here when I was, I want to say, third grade. Okay. And so uh, I grew up in Eastridge and then went to Travis, um, and then we moved over into the Caprock area, but um, I didn't want to change friends and schools, so I still went to Travis and graduated from PD, Okay, went to WT, got, got my degree at WT, and just stayed here kind of thing. Where did, where did you move from before you came to this area, to Amarillo? Idabel, Oklahoma. Okay. Do you... Do you know why you moved? I mean, you were a kid at the time. So kids don't always know stuff, but um, yeah, I think my mom and uh, stepdad just really wanted to, a better life for themselves and me, and to get out of that area. Um, Idabel tends to be like a small community, and there's not a lot of growth there. It's very small town, and so uh, my mom wanted growth and more opportunities for me. So that's why she moved to here. I had an uncle unfortunately, who's passed away, um, who lived here. And that's how we got here. So do you remember much about your impressions of Amarillo moving from a small town to a much bigger city? I mean, did 
as a third grader, who knows what kids remember at that point. But like, do, do you have any memories of that? Yeah, I mean, moving here was it was a lot different. I I didn't have a problem with the big area because when I was little, none of that really took effect. I, unfortunately, I hate saying this sometimes, but when I first moved here, um, living in Addyville, there are black people there, but there's a lot of Indians and whites. And okay. so for me, I grew up just around the only black people I knew were my family. I was very kind of like sheltered in. And so when I first, I never forget it. I first walked into uh, Palo Duro. I That was the first time I ever seen so many black people in my life. Wow. And so it threw me for a loop. <laughs> um, I was just like, oh my God, there's other black people. Uh, so. Yeah, like, like it was, well, tell me, tell me how that feels. Is it a feeling of, of relief? Is it a feeling of surprise? I mean, it's very different. Did it, did it make you feel good? I guess. Um, it was just, it's a surprise. I don't, I don't want to say it made me feel good or bad. It was just like, oh my God, there's other people who look like me. Like, you know, it was it was a shocker. It was a culture shock for me, um, just because living in Eastridge, even there, it's diverse, but diverse mm-hmm. in, you know, just people from different countries mm-hmm. um, that are in Eastridge area. An so, incredible number of nationalities and languages yeah, in that area. Yeah. And so for me, I still wasn't that many black people. Okay. I mean, I think my grade level, I probably had four or five of us there. And so it still wasn't a diverse thing. And then going to Travis, I mean, there were more, but still not a whole lot. Like I said, when I went to PD, that's when I was like, wow, we have black people here. Like you just didn't know. <laughs> can you can you tell me what that's like as a kid? Like, like growing up and knowing that you were one of maybe just a very few families uh, of, of black residents in Oklahoma where you lived. Is that something you're aware of? Is that something that you... Uh, that you kind of internalize as a kid growing up to where when you do go to PD and you see yourself, you know, fitting in with a much larger group, it feels different. I mean, did, did you did you have any thoughts like that as a kid? No, I mean, when you're around it, you don't really think about it. Okay, it never really occurred to me that that. I wasn't around a lot of black people because I was around my family. So technically, I was. It was just I never ventured out besides that bubble that mm-hmm. I was in. And so um, it was just nice to know more or see more. You know, you hear things about black people and stuff in general. And it's like, finally, I get to be around people of the same skin color as me um, and not just my family. Um, I love my family, but it was just nice no, to see a, other black It's people. good to have some people outside the family. Um, tell, me, tell me about uh, as you were at PD and you started thinking beyond high school, did you know you wanted to go to college? I know, you know, over the past couple of decades, like that's been a pretty big push uh, at Paladuro, at Caprock. Um, was, was that something that you felt was part of part of your plans? Yes. Um, you know, going to PD, we had the um, ACE program. Right. And so, I mean, obviously it was instilled in us that we needed to go to college. I think the only thing which back then they did not do well, um, but they are doing well now, is very much educating kids on what that means to go to college. Okay. It was just like, you have to go to college, you have to go to college. And so being a first generation to go to college, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it means. I didn't know what student loans meant. I didn't know any of that stuff. Like it was 
new to me. And so I don't think they educated us well, especially, you know, being first gens and stuff like that on what that meant to go to college, what it means to have a career and stuff like that and picking those choices. Um, I don't know if that's like a poverty level thing that we just weren't taught in that area, but after going to college and working for the university, I'm like, I just wish there was so much more they could have taught us about going to college versus just putting us out there. I mean, I felt like I was just thrown in the lion's den. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know what I do now. And so knowing the things that I do know, I can be able to educate my son and educate other kids as they come in you don't need all this. You don't need these student loans and stuff like that. Only take what you need. Apply for scholarships. Scholarships is your life. Um, just stuff like that. And just being out in the real world itself was t- totally different, you know, being instead of being sheltered with my mom and stuff um, at home. So um, it was eye opening. But they did push us. It's just I wish they would educate us on yeah. what that meant. That when college is the end goal that's fine. But then you end up in college and you've got to decide what direction am I going to go? What am I going to do? That's yeah. I can, I can see how that would be overwhelming. Um, did you know what you wanted to do? Like, did you have a plan? I mean, I thought I was going to go into the educational route and, um, that's what I started out as, as education, because I did um, a lot of education stuff in high school. I also did ACAL, which um, I was in the engineering program because I was really good at math. Mm-hmm. But nobody really told me what to do with all this information. Um, I just didn't know what I wanted to be. I just I was like, oh, that seems interesting. Oh, this seems interesting. And I guess all those mistakes then kind of prepared me for life. But. Um, when I got to college, um, I did go the education route and just found out that was not something I really wanted and which ended up wasting money. Hmm. I ended up going the business route and become an accountant, uh, which my uncle pushed me towards uh, in the end because he was like, you're you're good. You can do this. And so um, that's how I ended up in the business aspect of it. And so that's. Where I'm at now. So tell me, yeah, tell me, <laughs> tell me what your career actually is right now. <laughs> and I say at, at that. College, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're still figuring that out. Hey, yes. I too. <laughs> look, look, I might be 34, working on 35, but I'm still learning what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, <laughs> I did get my degree in accounting, and I uh, I worked at Wayland for a little while as their. Uh, financial aid, business office advisor. And then I went to WT as one of their staff accountants. And I recently moved up to the, still at WT, but I work for the AmeriCorps program. Okay. And I'm a um, project manager for that. Okay. So. And so tell, you know, for, for people that maybe don't know AmeriCorps, or maybe they've just heard about it, you know, in newscasts or something like that. Tell me, tell me what that means that, that you're Doing a project manager position related to that. Um, Well, AmeriCorps itself is basically about helping the community. Um, It's a federal government thing that was started to help the community, to give your time to help the community. We call them AmeriCorps members um, and they give back. And so I did actually 
I was part of, I was a AmeriCorps member in high school, my okay. senior year. And I, my giving back was basically tutoring younger kids in elementary. So I would, half of my, half the school year I was in class. And then the other half, I was out with the kids, uh, helping the teachers in the classroom, helping the kids with literacy and math and stuff like that. And then uh, when the opportunity came for me to work for them at WT, I jumped on it because I love that. Um, I love being a part of something of giving back. Um, it's something I teach my son. It's something I strive for that, you know, we have to love one another. And the only way to do that is to show kindness and appreciation for everything that we do. Our members at uh, WT, their, their job is to also give back to the youth and um, help them prepare for life in college as well. And just um, mentor the students that we have at WT who feel overwhelmed and stuff like that to help them with their career plans and stuff like that. So it's a great program to keep kids or sorry, I shouldn't say kids, but keep <laughs> our young adults first off giving back to others. And secondly, giving back to our community as well as in giving their time and their effort and educating them on the choices that they have mm -hmm. because you know college might not be your career path but maybe trade school might be right. your career path right. and having those options and knowing those options we're giving that community um, our younger generation that option of knowing those things so. is your position at WT is it actually a university position or is it like funded by the, grant. the federal government grants or something? <laughs> I, I'm just curious about the um, relationship. It, I think it's, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm not sure. I don't want to speak on it. <laughs> I don't, um, I'm pretty sure I'm funded by the grant, but um, everything is done through WT, okay. um, but we're funded through the grant. I've, I've talked to at least a couple of um, WT professors on this show. I have not spoken to anybody who's, who, who works for the college or on a the staff. campus at, at a staff <laughs> level. And I, I'm curious um, what you think about it. Like, like tell, me, tell me about the culture of the college. Tell me about, um, you know, having spent so many years working in, in that environment. Well, obviously, I love the university. I still wouldn't be there. <laughs> um, I do love WT. I love what it stands for. I love what it's about. I love the aspect of WT. Um, working as a staff, it's a whole new level. Um, but, I mean, it's still an appreciation level. Um, I think we just, we, I don't know how to explain it. I love it there. <laughs> I love my boss. I love the things that she's trying to do to make the community a better place. Um, what she's striving for. Um, we have a job to give back and make the students feel welcome and appreciated at that university. And I feel like we're doing a good job at that. So, I mean, even during the pandemic, I was on one of the staff members on the call list to call the students okay. to check on them. Yeah. And, just doing that made me feel good about our university and just what we're about. And um, I think it made the students feel very loved and appreciated as well. So so you've, you've mentioned uh, giving back and how important that is uh, to teaching your son. I, I know that you've been involved in a, a variety of activism, of um, raising awareness for certain things. Tell me about that, that, that drive that you have to, you know, to do stuff that's not your job description, not part of anything that's 
that's your career, but to continue pushing forward in Canyon or Amarillo and, and some of the things that you're involved with? Um, when it comes to my son, most white people have this perception that when a mother is a single mother raising their kid, that their kids are going to be delinquents, not going to have anything in life, or end up in jail or this and that. And even with me, it was like, oh, you had a kid in college because um, I did have him um, when I was 20. And so I wasn't going to get my degree. Like just I was going to end up having more kids and everything. Hearing those things hurt, but it made me who I am today. Okay. I strive to do what I need to do to overcome people's statistics mm -hmm. towards black women and black men. I do not want to be a statistic. Yes, I made the choice of having a child at a very young age, but God has brought me through that. And I do not want my son to be a statistic. So these whole things about how not having fathers in your life and how you kids usually end up in jail or doing bad things. Yes, it does happen. But my son will not be that person. And I feel like the more I pour into him as a mother, the more I have a better chance of keeping him being that statistic. I just feel as a mother, we have to pour into our children to make them better people. And that's why I'm big on giving back and being part of the community. It's because I want people to know that you have to pour into these kids to show them that they're loved and appreciated so they can be our future. These are our future. And so I constantly do everything with my son and I keep him very involved. Um, he's a life scout right now working on his Eagle. Um, he's a black belt in karate. He plays baseball. He does football. He's in track. He's an honors band. Uh, am I missing something? <laughs> um, oh yes. Um, he's part of the leaders. He's an ambassador for the leaders readers network and he's the co-founder of the black is beautiful project. So yes, he is very involved. He's very involved in church and just involved in general. And, and so I pour into him to make him a better man, to not be a statistic. And I tell him that all the time. People are going to look at you as a black boy. When you were little, they just thought, oh, he's so cute, blah, blah, blah. But as you get older, people will start looking at you differently as a male. And I was like, and you have to constantly strive to be more than what they think you are. And so that's what I instill in him and teaching him. And that's why I'm so driven. Mm -hmm. His character, uh, my character, speaks louder than words. And so that's what I'm trying to teach him. You are not what people think you are. You are who you are. So, And that's, I mean, that's obviously something that I, as a white guy, have not experienced and, and don't have the understanding of is that when those statistics exist, when those stereotypes exist you're not just trying to not be that statistic, but you're trying to actually achieve beyond that stereotype because we're not operating at this, we're not starting from the same foundation. Mm -hmm. You know, you and, and Ray as your son are starting far below maybe a lot of his peers. And so he has to almost overachieve just in order to, to go beyond, I guess, the stereotypes about him. Yeah. 
And it, I mean, it, he has hard moments. Um, you know, as he got older, I would constantly tell him, keep your hands out of your pockets when we're in the store. And he would be like, mom, why? And it took me forever to notice that I was doing it. But, <laughs> um, and then I had to explain to him because generally when black people are in the store, especially black male, young teenagers, they'll think if you have your hands in your pocket, you might be stealing. And I was like, so I have to tell him, keep your hands out of your pockets. And it's not that I think everybody think he's stealing. I have been raised that way where in my mind, if I don't, if I do this, I won't be looked like this, looked at like that. And so it's, it's trying to balance all of that, but still tell him it's okay to be who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's okay to be black. It's okay to be, I mean, you're beautiful just the way you are. And that your character means more than your skin color. It's hard to tell your son that because sometimes he's not treated that way. But hopefully we are growing as a community and a society that we can start appreciating kids for the character of who they are than versus the skin color they are. Can I ask you if, if you think Amarillo and Canyon are growing yes. as a society? I mean, thinking of your own childhood, I guess, uh, having moved here as a kid, growing up here through your teenage years, and then now looking at it through the eyes of, of Ray, is it... Is it better, do you think? Yeah, it's a lot better. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. Racism still exists. I mean, it definitely exists. Um, I experienced that last year um, on a whole new level that I wasn't prepared for. But um, In the summer with the the protests? mm -hmm, Yeah. When I did the protests um, in Canyon where we walked around the square, do not get me wrong I had so much support my church came out and walked with us and supported us um and I go to First Baptist Church in Canyon which is a majority white church I'm I'm the only black speck in there but (laughs) um, their love and their support and them understanding the struggles that black people go to said so much for them to walk with me and the community to come out and walk with us even with that, doesn't change the fact that there were still some people who were very ugly. I got rude and messages that I didn't expect to get, um, death threats and everything else. But I also told myself that if Martin Luther King can overcome death threats and march, even though he knew he was going to jail and everything, and he still did what he did, I can do what I have to do to make sure my son has a better future as well. Yes, some of those threats scared me, but obviously they didn't happen. Um, And so it's just a matter of overcoming and standing up for what is right and not be silenced because of it. And I think that was a big struggle with our community. A lot of people, they feel like, well, I don't want to take a side, so I'm just going to be quiet. But your quietness speaks louder than anything Mm -hmm. by staying silent and not standing up for what is right you're it's just like them yelling at me calling me the n-word or anything else it's just the fact that our community is better now that we are speaking out as black people and white people the more we speak out the better our community will grow and learn from these experiences 
Um, I think our community is very good at giving back and standing up for what is right, but doesn't mean that there's not bad apples in the world. So, and at the same time, it doesn't mean that we've fixed it either. I mean, no. we're we're not a post-racism society or anything like that. There's still <laughs> there's still a lot of work to be done. A lot of work to be done, and I think we're moving forward too. Um, just. People like my son doing the things that he's doing with Leaders Readers Network, he's already pushing forward for a better future for our kids, teaching literacy and putting books in the classroom with black characters. That's already giving us a platform for our next generation Mm -hmm. because then it's not, well, we only see white people. Now it's, oh, we see everyone. We should love everyone. We should care about everyone. So we're instilling that into them while they're young to make them better men and women for the future. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the Leaders Readers Network and the Black is Beautiful book project that I guess both of you are involved with. Tell, tell me a little bit about that and sort of how that came about. Um, well, I got a phone call um, because of the things that I do in the community. Um, I got a phone call um, from Chris um, asking me to be if my son wanted to be ambassador and if we wanted to be a part of the Leadership Network. And I was and that's like a national network, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, um, and at first, I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, knowing my son loves to read, I I just asked him, and you know, and he was like, "Yeah, I want to do it." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so, yeah, and he, Chris was like, "I want to launch, you know, the Black is Beautiful," and he was like, "I want these kids to have books that." characters that look like them and I was like yeah I'm all for that and so that's what we've been trying to do right now we're just um, giving awareness um, especially to black history a lot of people would say well I don't know black history because I wasn't taught black history and we're trying to stop that stereotyping where you don't know black history because you weren't taught black history but if you just open up a book you know pick up a book and the Little Rock Nine and read about it. Mm-hmm. You will know a little um, black history. Pick up a book and learn something about the civil rights movement and what that actually meant. Um, yes, we know about Martin Luther King. Yes, we know about Rosa Parks. Yes, we know about Malcolm X and stuff. But there are so many more people that had impact our community or our world in this country that we just don't know about. And it's just the simple of picking up a book. And that's what I'm trying to enforce and teach. Pick up a book and read. Um, And that's what he's been doing. And he's learned a lot. Some things he's not very proud of um, as as in the things that happen to black people. Mm -hmm. And there are some things he's like, man, you know, just the overcomeness of what they did. Um, right now, he's doing Tuskegee Airmen, okay. um, and he's so excited because even though he won't get in a plane, but <laughs> he's very excited about the things that those men overcame, the stereotypes and being told that they were worthless, that they didn't have courage just because of the color of their skin. And so um, it's just been interesting to see his journey and then the questions he has coming out of this, um, but just the mindset of not giving up because he was he was surprised that the Little Rock Nine stuck through the things that they did to go to that high school. And he was like, Mom, I don't think I could have done that. And I was like, which is why it's so important what they did. He was like, because of what they did. 
you can go to Canyon High School. And he was like, I know, that's what's so crazy. <laughs> um, but just, you know, seeing him grow through it and ask questions and learn more. It's been a great experience this month. I'm tired, but it's been a great experience in the month of February. <laughs> yeah, I should say we're recording this uh, in February, which is Black History Month. And I know that uh, because of, of, you know, your involvement there, you've been talking to a lot of a lot of media and, and doing interviews um, I, I wanted to ask, you know, the, the examples you mentioned, the Tuskegee Airmen, the Little Rock Nine, those are nonfiction uh, examples. When we think of books and kids and stuff like that, um, fiction is always a big part of that. I, I, I haven't read a lot of children's fiction um, in a while because my kids are older, but like is, is representation improved in that world too? I mean, are you seeing more books about that feature black characters or characters of color as opposed to just, you know, every, every little kid's book was about white kids for a long time. Actually, I just realized, you know, doing this project that there are so many books with black characters. <laughs> um, I actually did not realize how many books there are out there that are available that have black characters in them. Um, so with the mindset of, you know, teaching our community about black history, we also have teachers involved who are reading books with black characters or black authors. And so with that being said, they're reading those books and giving you their intake on why they want them in their classrooms and stuff like that. And so um, just going through those lists of books, it's it's there are a lot of them out there. It's just. I don't know why they're not in the classrooms. I, I can't, I don't know why we're not diverse enough in this, this community or in the world itself to know about these books. Why aren't they in our library? What, what's it called? Book fair. The book Sorry. fair. <laughs> why aren't they in our book fair? Why aren't they, you know, in our classrooms? Why, why aren't they available for kids to know about? Why aren't we putting them on display during Black History Month so kids can see that they're that they are appreciated for the color of their skin? I honestly do not know why, but I want a change to happen from this. So that's part of the reason we're doing this. I, I feel like we're going to bring about a change in our community where people can stand for something and feel good about it. I want to ask you a question. Um, I want to make sure I, I phrase this in a sensitive way. The, you know, having a month like February, Black History Month, is an opportunity for a lot of places to talk about black history, to talk about the uh, important stories to talk about books with black characters. But I, I also think of it sometimes like, why why do we only do that during February? Or, or why does everybody feel, oh, we could, it's okay to do it in February, but like in, in August, we're not talking about that sort of thing. Is, is Black History Month, do you consider it like a good starting point that maybe will spread beyond the borders of February? Is, is that kind of the hope? That's the hope for us. Um, I really do hope. And, and you're right. It shouldn't be celebrated just one month. We should be celebrating it all year round. Um, it should be in our curriculum at school. And it's not. Um, I do feel like a lot of things are sugarcoated in our in our curriculum when it comes to history. Um, we don't really say, um, well, the reason the Civil War happened is because black people were enslaved. We say, well, the Civil War happened because states had a difference on ideas. Well, <laughs> ideas about enslaving black people. Just, so it's, it's very sugar-coated. Um, 
And I think that's because we don't want to talk about the bad. I mean, we have to get past that. We have to understand that we have to talk about the bad so we can bring about a better future. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the thing that's happening. And so my son is very sensitive. I don't know about everybody else in the world, but I've noticed boys are very sensitive creatures. (laughs) And so when it came to doing this project, he had a hard time because he didn't like, you know, knowing that, um, a white boy who was an Eagle Scout, this this was one thing that hurt him more than anything, but it was a white boy who was an Eagle Scout who killed a little black boy um, when he was riding his bike home um, during the time of the bombing, the church bombing. So um, when the church bombing happened, a whole bunch of white people were out of town fighting blacks and stuff like that. And so this white boy ran up on this 13 year old who was riding his bike and shot him and so and killed him and so that hurt my son this is when during the the civil rights era yes so this happened the same day the church bombing happened the birmingham bombing got it and so um it hurt ray a lot because first of all when he read that he was 13 himself and so it was like impacting him like I'm 13, you know, I'm a black boy. He could identify with the, Yeah, the and so, and then it hurt him to know that an Eagle Scout, because he came to me and he brought me the book. He was like, Mom, tell me this is not true. Tell me this did not happen. Please find this incorrect. And when I researched it and I was like, I'm sorry, it is true. He was like, but he was a Boy Scout. That goes against everything we've been taught. And I was like, back then, babe, was a different time. And you have to understand that. I was like, but know that what you're taught now is making you a better person and other Eagle Scouts better men. So don't hate who you are and what you become as a Boy Scout because of this one incident, but learn from it and be a better person from it. It did hurt him tremendously, but I think it also gave him light to the fact that black people went through a lot during that time to give us the right and freedom we have today. Is it perfect? No. But we've came a long way. We just got to keep going and keep fighting. So. Okay, I want to I want to make a hard <laughs> left turn here uh, cuz this has been a pretty a pretty serious conversation. <laughs> Sorry. No. I, it's look, it's it's a conversation that I need to hear. It's a conversation that my listeners need to hear. So don't apologize for that. Um, I understand that in addition to your work at WT, you also drive Uber. Yeah. (laughs) Amarillo Canyon area. I've never uh, spoken to someone who does that. Tell me what that's like here. I I mean, I I know what it's like in the big cities. I've, you know, used it in in large urban areas. But what's what's it like here in Amarillo? Uh, It is very different. I can say Um, only in the aspect as a driver and someone who's been in an Uber. As a driver, you meet interesting people all the time. And I absolutely hate doing Uber. <laughs> I do not like driving all the time. But um, I've my mom has taught and skills in me to be a hustler, to do the things you have to do to make ends meet. And that's what I do. So um, I also found it as a mission, too, because as a Christian person, I felt like God was pulling me towards, you know, good things in people's life. And he has. Um, I had an incident where I helped a lady in a a domestic violence situation. And, um, I was able to get her out of that, that, 
that situation and call the cops and stuff. Um, I've had incidents where I helped a homeless lady with a newborn baby. I got her a hotel and stuff like that. Um, so it allowed me to help someone, which I'm very grateful for. God has shown me things that I've never seen before. And um, yes, there are a lot of crazies um, <laughs> that can get in your cab. I even got asked to be a sugar mama. Uh, <laughs> well, the guy asked me if he could be my sugar daddy. Let me rephrase that. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> um, so you get a lot of different things that happen, but um, it allowed me to actually show Christ. I actually remember an instance where I, I had Christian music playing and a girl was like, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. And she was like, but why? And that threw me for a loop. I've never That's a good question to ask, you know? <laughs> I was like, um, are you serious? And she was like, yeah. She was like, um, she was from another country. And she was just like, Christianity is stupid and this and that. I was like, I would have to disagree. I was like, I believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for me and dying on the cross. And I got to witness and give the gospel to someone. And the lady started crying and she was like, you have hope and joy that I don't. And I was like, well, that's what Christ does for me. It gives me hope and joy and things that, I can't do on this earth because if I rely on myself or other people, I'm always going to be disappointed. And so, and just getting to pray with her and witness to her, that was, that was God sent moment. And that's why I was like, well, I guess God had me Ubering for a reason, even though I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, are, are those personal benefits or even those spiritual benefits, like did those outweigh how much you don't like it or, or, or the part of it that feels like a grind, I guess. Um, it, it, it does. I think it also kept me doing it. Cause there are moments where I'm like, I don't want to go do it, which, you know, when you want to spend time with your kid and be there with your kid all the time and it, you do that. And I think that's part of the reason God hasn't financially benefited me. You're not winning the lottery <laughs> or anything. So you don't have to Drive over. I think he wants me to keep doing it for some reason. <laughs> um, um, so I think that's why he has it got me on a level where I'm stable, where I don't have to. And even so, I told myself, even if I get to a level that I'm stable, that I don't need to, I think I would still do it only because I love shoes. Um, uh, you're just financing <laughs> your shoe. I have to have a finance for that shoe problem that I have. So, um, but yeah, um, I, I don't like doing it, but I have to say God has sent me to do work in it. Um, I always say, God, make me a missionary, not just in my son life, but in other people's lives. And I felt like he allowed me to do that in that moment. Uh, now that COVID has happened, I have not got to pick up people. I just do food. But okay. um, even with that, I'm still like... You know, I know it's hard with COVID, you know, um, if you're stuck at home because you're quarantined or even if you have it, you can't go out and get groceries or get food. So I still feel like I'm making a difference. I don't know. I like making a difference and I feel like I'm doing that Ubering. This episode is also sponsored by Jimmy John's Gourmet Sandwiches with three Amarillo locations, Sansi and I-40, Western and Olson, and downtown right across from the ballpark. You might be wondering why a big restaurant chain like Jimmy John's is sponsoring a local podcast. 
while these franchise locations are owned and operated by an Amarillo resident who is passionate about investing jobs and resources into this area. So the next time you want a delicious sandwich, consider Jimmy John's. Okay, I'm back with Dietrich Peoples. Dietrich, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon on the WT campus. I'm sure you're aware of it. Yes. (laughs) Uh, It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight fossils that reveal the Panhandle was once a swampy rainforest, including a crocodile-like phytosaur. And I've actually seen that phytosaur fossil there, which is crazy to think that there were crocodiles here at some point. (laughs) Um, You can learn more at uh, panhandleplains.org. Okay, so... Eight straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. I ask most of these questions of, of all my guests, uh, so I'm eager to hear how you answer these. Uh, the first one I've been asking over the past uh, several months, but what's one thing that 2020 revealed to you about local people? That we can come together to make a difference. Okay. Um, there. I mean, you know, there's going to be situations where there's a little hatred in everybody, but... Um, just the fact that the things that happened, we came together and we made a difference. Um, just in Black Lives Matter or just in the pandemic itself. I moved during this in this 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I started a new job and stuff like that. And so I felt the community. I felt people giving back. I felt people, you know, doing when you found out somebody had a COVID. I heard a lot of people saying, I got to go take a meal to this person's house so they can have meal during COVID since their mom or kids have, you know, it was just to see our community come together and say, we are here for one another that was tremendous. I have never seen a community come together like Amarillo Canyon did. And it made me want to be there for other people. I was like, I found out people had COVID and I'm like, who needs a meal? Yeah, this is what we do. (laughs) Who needs meal? Who needs food? Do you need some medicine? Do I need to run to the store? And I did do that. Um, Just so happened, Julie and Gary Solomon, very close people to my heart. Gary uh, was in the hospital for a long time fighting COVID and this community rallied behind that family like no other, took them meals and everything. But before he ended up in the hospital, I was like, I'm going to United. Who Do you need something? And they would tell me, yes, I need this, this, and this. So just seeing the community come together and love one another, even in the time of a pandemic. I mean, i had people come and help me move into my house and paint my house. Uh, we, <laughs> we painted my house before I moved in. It took us about a week and it was so funny because everybody was so tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even in a pandemic, it was still, I saw so much love and kindness. It was amazing. I'm proud of this town. Good. What does this area have too much of? That question I actually struggled with. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what we have too much of. So I'm going to take a wing at it. And I would have to say restaurants. Too many restaurants. Yes. Okay. Why do you say that? <laughs> um, because 
we're forgetting to be a family sometimes hmm. to sit down at a table and have a conversation. That is the one thing my son loves. He loves it when I cook because that means we get to sit down and have a conversation. If we're eating out or fast food, that means nine out of 10, it's nine o'clock and we've been having a long day and we're eating and getting the bed. Um, so to have a family meal, to sit down and have a conversation, I think we're lacking that in this area because we have too many restaurants. We just have so many restaurants going out to eat, getting fast food. It's just so much quicker. And so I think we just need a little less to have a little more family time. Okay. And yet you've, you've still been delivering for some of those restaurants over the past yeah, few Don't months. judge me. Uh, I will tell you about it. <laughs> what does this area not have enough of? Diversity. Okay. Um, I just feel like we're not diverse at all. Um, I think Amarillo has, what, 6% black community um we're just not diverse in canyon even less mm -hmm. um it's not we need more diversity in our schools and our area and we need to talk about it as well um i feel like we try to sweep it under the rug because it's a hard conversation yeah <laughs> and instead of being open about that conversation and bringing diversity and including diversity in our community and in our schools. We need that to happen, which is why we're a part of the Leaders Readers Network. We're trying to bring diversity in our community. Is there a way, I, I'm trying to think like from a, a citywide perspective, is there a way to increase diversity in terms of like, how do you attract more black families? How do you attract more black owned businesses? How do you foster a community where People want to come here and build a life here, you know, like your your parents did. Um, it's investing in it, too, because, I mean, just finding out that, you know, North Heights area just it doesn't even have a fire station. And that shocked me. I didn't even think about it until somebody said something. Um that's kind of sad. <laughs> um, we don't have that in that area. So it's about investing in our black community as well, investing in black people as well. So we have these black restaurants, invest in them and go there and eat and invest in those people to make it more diverse and make our area more diverse. I mean, we're working on it. I mean, we now have uh, Mims is now the football head coach, athletic director of uh, Paladura High School. And so that's that's a huge accomplishment in our area because that has never happened. Which is crazy. Yeah. How has that not happened? That's yeah, and that, that actually really did shock me. Um, but even more, and knowing that, um, I also went to look and I'm like, well, how many black teachers and coaches do we have in Canyon? And I'm like, none. Hmm. We have none. And that's, that's only something <laughs> that to improve, you have to be intentional about it. Like, yeah. It has to be a choice. Yeah. And I mean, it is, it goes both ways and we have to, as black people also have to apply. Yeah. 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 We have to get in that community and apply and want to be a part of that community because we have to make it diverse. We have to be willing to put in that effort to make stuff diverse. Being an actor, um, an advisor for the Black Women's Association at WT Campus, that is one thing I tell my girls. You can't complain that there's no Black people in the Senate at WT if you aren't applying to mm. the Senate at WT. <laughs> Don't complain about something. Be that difference. Make that change happen. We have to be the willing to be the first. That, that's a really good point. How do you describe Amarillo to, or Amarillo and Canyon to people outside this area? 
Um, that is a great place to live because people care and have good card. Um, we want to see a change. We want things to happen. We want to be loving and kind. And so I think it's a great place to live for that reason. You have people here that are just amazing and have good hearts. And um, so why not live in Amarillo? Okay. <laughs> you, uh, you mentioned restaurants. What's your favorite local restaurant? El Tejavan. Okay. Uh, the like the original location. Um, it they have two. Yeah, there's two. So there's one over by Tascosa, uh-huh. and there's a the the older one. I guess on the I think on the boulevard, right? Yes, I eat at the one mostly by the one by Tascosa, okay. and because they have great margaritas. Um, <laughs> but uh, like and people who know me will tell you, I absolutely love tacos. It is. Something I just, I, I am very judgmental if they're not authentic. <laughs> so El Tayaman is one of my favorite restaurants because they just make great tacos. Um, I have other favorite restaurants. Like I love Outback Steakhouse because of brown bread. I love the brown bread. Yeah. But <laughs> they do have good food. <laughs> um, but I just, I mean, if I have to pick a favorite restaurant, it's going to be Mexican food okay. every single time. That's <laughs> legit. You're in the right place for it. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Um. I don't drink coffee. Okay. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> but if I have to pick a favorite, it's, of course, it's going to be Palace Coffee. Um, they have, they're, they're great in this community. Um, they're about being kind and giving back. Um, they're giving back to me and my son as we speak. Um, we're part of their February uh, kindness drink. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just, I love that. I love the people who own it, and I love the place, the atmosphere. We go there to study um, and get things done, So, but I don't drink coffee. All right. That's that's fine. I'll accept that. When was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? Last week. Last week. Okay. That was pretty recent then. Yeah, before the snow hit. So whenever before it got too, too cold. Is that something that, that you do pretty regularly living in Canyon? Yes. Um, I love to run and I love hiking. Um, I love running the trails and hiking the trails. And so I will go up there to get a clear mine and hike that trail. What's your favorite trail? The rock garden. Okay. Which is funny because it took me, I didn't get on the rock garden trail until probably 2019. I am afraid of heights. And so somebody had told me it's such a height up. And yeah. I was like, I don't want to get up high. <laughs> and finally I did the trail. And when I got up there, I actually sat on the edge near the cliff and looked out at the canyon. And I was so overwhelmed by the beauty of the canyon that it's my favorite thing to hike up. It's my favorite trail too. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm going to ask you this one uh, because of the uh, the Leaders Readers Network and your um, Black is Beautiful book project, but what's your favorite children's book? Do you have one? Yes, Amazing Grace. Okay. Um, I forgot it at home. I meant to bring it, but that is my favorite book because when I was growing up, my mom would read it to me all the time. So the book is basically about a little girl who is loves everything, likes to be involved, and does has an uh, a wild imagination and at her school they had a Peter Pan play and they asked who wanted to be Peter Pan and she raised her hand she loves acting she loves dancing so she raised her hand and a little boy told her you can't be Peter Pan because you're a girl and she looked at him and she just kept her hand raised and then a little girl told her you can't be Peter Pan because you're black 
And so as a kid to hear those things that you can't do something because you're a girl and you're black, that could be really hard on your heart. Mm -hmm. And so, but of course she ends up, you know, being Peter Pan, but it just taught me as a little girl that not only can I be Peter Pan, (laughs) but I can do anything I put my mind to if just because I'm a woman and just because I'm black does not mean I can't be anything I want to be. And so that book helped me be the person I am. So that's a fantastic answer. (laughs) That concludes the eight straight questions. Uh, I like to end Dietrich by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Have you ever heard of a place called hidden falls? I have. That is one place I would like to endorse. I think that people um, tend to go places outside this area to go to camp and stuff. We have a great camp here. It's called Hidden Falls. Right on the edge of the canyon. Right on the edge of the canyon. And uh, my son has been going to that camp since uh, first grade. I think it is the end of the first grade. So between first and second grade. And he absolutely loves that camp. And it's a great experience these kids get from that camp. Um, Every time I would pick him up, he would always have this bright and joy about himself. Um, They really instill Christian um, values in these kids as well as having fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, My son says his favorite thing about camp is the campfire and um, getting to know the counselors and the food, of course. He loves to eat. Um. <laughs> A lot of kids complain about food at camp. I'm glad to hear that it's, it's good at Hidden Falls. So I think that I've, if I want to endorse anything, it's Hidden Falls. Just if you have kids, um, really consider uh, taking your kids to Hidden Falls. It's a great camp. They're all about our youth and giving back and letting them know about Christ. And I think it's a great place to take your kids. Okay. Dietrich Peoples, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Dietrich for the interview and also to her son, Ray, for tagging along. Uh, We had some fun conversations with him uh, that we didn't record, uh, didn't make it into the podcast. But uh, thanks to Ray for, for being part of it. Also to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8 Straight and to SKP Creative and Jimmy Johns for sponsoring the show. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially. The best way to do that is through patreon.com slash heyamorello. Heyamorello's executive producers include Barbara and Jim Witten, Priscilla, Patrick Burns, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Wilson Lemieux, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Jess Heredia, and Ryan Pennington. This has been episode 189. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.